The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 233. One day, I shall come back. That's it. I've been renewed. As when a Time Lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a time lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Braveheart team. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding. Position universe. Wearing a bit thin. Fantastic. Hello, I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Ta-da! She'll be fine. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about that hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the third Doctor story called The Demons. And joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? Very well, thanks. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, we have something new for you this week. If We would love for you to join the StarQuest fan club mailing list by texting StarQuest, all one word, to 66866. Send StarQuest to 66866, and we'll send you just a couple emails a month uh, telling you about what's going on in the network, what uh, is going on with some new shows, and any interesting, cool things that we're doing outside of the actual podcast. Uh, So be sure to sign up and become part of our StarQuest fan club mailing list by texting StarQuest to 66866. So this is a third Doctor story. It aired uh, in May of 1971. It's five episodes, which is a rarity in Doctor Who. There weren't very many five-episode serials. There were usually four or six, sometimes longer than that even. (laughs) And Um, usually six in mm -hmm. the third Doctor's time. My guess is what happened is they were planning on a six, and then it it was the end of the season. They were running out of budget, so they truncated it to five. That's probably a good guess. Uh, It's... Here's a fun little tidbit. It's the only the only story, Doctor Story, that has a, a is it a ligature? What what do you call it when you join the A and the E together? I forget that now. Oh the, yeah, it's a uh, well a diphthong. Diphthong. That's right. I knew it was one of those two things. So mm-hmm. yes, the only one with the diphthong in its in its title, which you know whatever. Uh, I, I always wondered whether to say, pronounce it Damon or Demon, but I guess it's uh, the way they said it in the episode. It was. D- the demons. I don't care if they're going to use a diff song. It's going to be the demons to me. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, also it's it's unique in another respect. It's the only Doctor Who story that I can think of where the cliffhanger, you know, which is normally someone is under threat. Usually, yeah. it's the Doctor or a companion or a random person, or it's the emergence of a monster. Mm-hmm. But this serial has a, a cliffhanger where the person under threat is the master. Yeah. Right, and we're zooming in on the master in terrible distress yeah. before we cut to cut to black. Right, right. Now, now I did have to admit when I saw the title, I was wondering why the the doctor was was so concerned about Unix background processes, although they can become zombies. <laughs> so, for those who don't know, the term for a process that runs in the background of on a Unix machine and includes Mac OS is a daemon, spelled exactly as is in the title. And if that process crashes, it becomes a zombie process. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, we should we should probably also e- explain a little bit more about the title because people yeah. think of demons, mm-hmm. 
you know, as the fallen angels from the Bible? And why would you name a computer background process that? Or why would you put an A in demons Mm -hmm. in the title? And it's because this originally didn't come from the Bible. Uh, In Greek, there is a word daimon, which it it is refers to a kind of spiritual entity but not what we would think of as a demon it's it originally could mean kind of anything up to a god but eventually it became a kind of low level servant type spirit that was distinct from a god mm. and christians then borrowed the term and applied it to fallen angels but it also could just mean a lower-level servant, which explains why it would be a background process in Unix right. and, and why it's not necessarily connected with other things. Neuroscientists also will refer to various processes going on in our brains as daemon processes hmm. because they're low-level servant things. Okay, so I think that brings us to the point where we should do a recap of what this story is about. So, Jimmy, would you mind taking that for us? The doctor and unit go to a remote English village where there's an archaeological dig that's about to unleash a terrible ancient evil. And it turns out that the master is on hand impersonating a Church of England priest, planning to use the terrible ancient forces for his own benefit, as you'd expect. And he's secretly running a black magic cult in the village, or coven in the village. The Doctor reveals that 100,000 years ago, a race known as the Daemons from the planet Deimos began interfering in human history as part of an experiment. Now the experiment has run its course, and the last remaining Daemon, a guy named Azal, will either pass on his power to someone or he'll destroy the world as a failed experiment. The Master wants to inherit Azal's power and rule the world, and so we, after a lot of back and forth and a lot of weird stuff happening, we have this final confrontation between the Doctor and the Master and Azal, and the Master manages to convince Azal to give him, the Master, his power, and to kill the Doctor. But at the last minute, Joe Grant jumps in the way, ready to sacrifice herself to save the Doctor, and this is an act that is so illogical it breaks the script and causes Azal to become confused and blow a fuse, turning his power against himself. Azal and all of his technology is then blown up, the master is taken into custody, and the village goes back to normal. That, that's, a, that's a good recap, because there's a lot that goes on yeah. in those five episodes, but really that's the action, that's the, the, the summary of it, and there's a, lot of, there's a lot of detail, and it's not all... Fluff. I mean, there's some good stuff. In there, I, so let's let's talk about some of that. I, I will say, I I found who if I ever go to a con, who I'm going to cosplay as Mr. Magister. All I have to do is shave the side of my beard and let the masters <laughs> laugh and put on a cassock. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I I liked how and now there's a bunch of references uh, to the in this to various things, and the master as Mr. Magister is one of them. Uh, And they point out magister is the Latin word for master. It's also the Latin word for teacher. But uh, he's playing this priest, and he introduces himself as a rationalist, and then he refers to, well, speaking from an existential point of view, and he's talking to the local witch, who's Mm -hmm. a woman named Miss Hawthorne. And Miss Hawthorne is a white witch, so she's not down with any evil stuff. Mm-hmm. She also seems to be Christian at the same time as being a witch, 
because she is very unhappy at her parish having a rationalist existentialist priest. <laughs> it's, it, she does not like that. Thinks she, she thinks Mr. Magister is an imposter because the previous priest had disappeared under mysterious circumstances. No doubt he went on a, a on a on a really fast weight loss strategy diet or something. <laughs> yeah, right. Yep. <laughs> but she is she is not in favor of this rationalist existentialist priest. <laughs> and actually, that's coming off of some stuff in the 1960s in the Church of England, mm-hmm. where there was a uh, a big movement towards trying to incorporate rationalism and existentialism right. as kind of guiding forces in Christian thought. And in particular, there was a book called Honest to God that was put out by a bishop named John A.T. Robinson, who was a liberal bishop, and he was trying to incorporate rationalistic and existentialist elements. And so Hmm. that's kind of where that's coming from. It was kind of a thing at the time. Well, I I could see you mentioned her, you know, she might have some Christian background. Very likely she does, but yeah, the same sense too. In like these small villages, you can see where the 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 village priest would not just be the priest of this little parish, and this parish wouldn't be just the you know the parish for the, the the Church of England members, but for everybody in the village. This is the village priest, and she doesn't like that their priest has these thoughts too. Right. You know, so living in a small town, he has a you see a lot role. of that. Right. You know, it's much more yeah. social that this priest is involved in their village than it is any kind of religion. But it, you, cause, like I said, living in a small town, you see that all the time. It's like, oh, yeah, this is my parish. When's the last time you've been there? Oh, about 50 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Miss Hawthorne is also interesting in that as a witch, she doesn't quite get the Scooby-Doo treatment mm-hmm. that we would expect. Normally, it's by the end of the episode it's or the end of the story, it's all explained that none of this is really magic. It's all just technology. And they do say that at the end of the episode, you know, in the final episode. But in the first episode, we see Miss Hawthorne quell an attack from elementals. Mm-hmm. There is a moment where the wind starts blowing like crazy and a, a police officer uh, falls un- under some kind of mental control and picks up a rock to hit her from behind. And she does, she's not aware of that. But she's like doing an incantation to tell the wind elementals to back off and calm down or she's going to put them on a timeout or something. Mm-hmm. And they do. They calm down and the guy comes out from under control and puts down the rock. And even though the doctor later says that all of the magic we've seen is a, a result of either Time Lord or Daemon technology, mm-hmm. she's not using any technology like that. Right. That's true. That's true. It, yeah, the doctor is an occult skeptic. You know, mm-hmm. he's very clear right from the very beginning. You know, there's no such thing as magic. There's only science. He's very rationalist. He's very, you know, there's nothing uh, supernatural that goes on. And even tricks Joe in, uh, about magic by turning Bessie into a Tesla and driving it around remotely, which which is funny. Yeah, I say that into a Tesla because a Tesla has that remote, that automatic drive mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Again, from a 21st century perspective, a remote control car is cool, but not like astounding, unthinkable. Whereas, uh, did I say 21st? I mean 21st. Yeah. Whereas in 1970, this was... You know, future this was, technology. This is science fiction. This was James Bond. This was, yeah, you know, super science fiction. You know, of course, it goes back to the, the Arthur C. Clarke saying about, you know, any sufficiently advanced uh, technology is indistinguishable from science. 
And or from a, not from magic. Magic, from magic. Yep. Yeah. And there's another Arthur C. Clarke reference here. There are a bunch of references to or inspirations from other movies and stuff. So genre wise, this is Doctor Who doing folk horror mm-hmm. or what is now called folk horror. That's a genre where you have uh, it's typically set in a remote country location and the horror elements come from folklore. Mm hmm. And there are a bunch of examples of this. A lot of Hammer films are like this, Mm -hmm. Hammer horror films. And folk horror was popular in the 60s and the 70s in England. And so this is kind of Doctor Who bringing that to the small screen. But there are references to specific bits of folk horror and other types of of sci-fi horror in the course of the story, we have the village surrounded by an impenetrable dome barrier, mm-hmm. which in this case is made of heat, but that is straight out of Village of the Damned. Mm-hmm. If you've ever seen Village of the Damned, there is a dome-shaped impenetrable barrier around a small mm-hmm. English village. And uh, we also have digging around in the ground and unearthing an ancient spaceship with weird-looking aliens. That's out of Quatermass in the Pit. Also, having the uh, the people who have been experimenting with humans and fostering their development and so forth like that turning out to look like demons, that's Childhood's End by Arthur C. Clarke. Mm. Right. So there are a bunch of things they're drawing on here. You know what's interesting about that Arthur Clarke quote that you mentioned, Father Corey, is he didn't actually say that until 1973, right. which is several years mm-hmm. after this. But it's a, it's a contemporary thought. I think it was current in science fiction at the time, this idea of technology was moving forward so fast that people realized that, you know, as fast as technology was advancing in the space age, that it would be, it's like magic to those who aren't prepared for it. Whereas we, in 2021, we've lived with this sort of pace of advancing technology mm. our whole lives, practically, and so it doesn't seem as unusual to us. So I think I think it's important when watching these older shows to kind of set yourself in the mindset of the people who would have been watching at that time. And uh, and I think it's a different experience, at least. I don't think you have to, but I think it's a different experience when you think about it from their point of view. Yeah, it is. I mean, this is how it would appear. So I, I kind of enjoy that. Yeah, it, it, it's very much, I think, a mindset people have had. You know, I can think of, you know, of course, this is much later than this. We're talking since we're doing Secrets of Stargate now. Uh, the original yeah. Stargate movie where they're in basically a Bronze Age culture, maybe maybe Iron Age at best, and he takes a, a big or a Zippo lighter and flicks it, and of course that would look like he's making fire from his hand instead of right. you know, the traditional right. way you would do it with like flint and steel or something like that. And it's uh but does the technology that's never seen that before, that would be just he's mad this is magic. He ma- he magically made this piece of metal produce fire. <laughs> right, right. I, I also like a, and by the way, before I forget, I also was looking at my notes and another um, another uh, inspiration that may be here is at one point the villagers decide to burn the doctor mm-hmm. alive mm-hmm. and that's the Wicker Man and a bunch of mm-hmm. other, uh, other stuff where people attempted to burn somebody. Yeah. But what I was going to say about the technology magic thing is there's also another uh, interesting perspective that's kind of subverts expectations there's a story called the man who came early mm-hmm. and i want to is it by paul anderson i may be wrong about that 
but basically it's a uh, the plot is a, a US military man from the 1960s or whatever gets struck by lightning or something and transported a thousand years earlier in in Iceland and so mm-hmm. he's trying to do the look at me with all my magic stuff to impress the Icelandic natives and so at one point they're going to like sacrifice an ox to Odin or something and he uses his service revolver to kill the ox and he's right. thinking they're going to be really impressed by the magic when he shoots it in the head and they're like you wasted the brain <laughs> <laughs> so not as impressed as as uh, as he hoped they would be that's I, I have to admit when you, you mentioned the the burning the doctor scene my, my first thing i wrote down so the doctor weighs as much as a duck <laughs> burn him <laughs> how do yeah. you know he's a witch uh i i, I sort of jump in since we're talking about it uh the witch miss hawthorne tries to save the doctor by proclaiming him a wizard named quiquay quad quiquay quad which is three versions of the latin verb for who right? uh, well the latin word it can it's a pronoun it can yeah. be who or which right qui is masculine quay is uh feminine and quad is neuter so Queequay right, right. Quad is who 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 Doctor who 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 yeah <laughs> she, she must have a classical education oh and so that's that's one of two Latin things we get in mm-hmm. this the other being Mister Magister yep right 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 another Latin name uh, one of the things I want to mention is because this deals with demons a, a village priest religion the BBC was very sensitive to this whole thing and they had some very strict rules and one of the things was. They ordered that there be no mention of God at all. Mm. So there's no mention of God in this episode, only the devil. Uh, and then you have the priest, which implies God, but only uh, no mention of God. And the crypt of the church, which is the area underneath, the basement essentially, had to be called a cavern. Mm. They didn't want it to be called a crypt. I thought that was the first one I understood, but I didn't understand why crypt was bad. What do you think? Why do they Because a crypt that? is a sacred place, mm-hmm. and the master oh. is doing unsacred things there. Yeah, I get crypts, it. You know, traditionally, crypts were like burial places, you know, for, right, where there would right. be Christian funeral rites being done. And those would all be blessed, that would all mm-hmm. be blessed ground. Yep. Okay, okay. Yeah, so they kept calling it the cavern, which I thought was amusing. The in the rituals that the master is performing with his black magic coven, um, they do some backwards talking. Mm. So mm-hmm. whenever, like, when the master will say something, the acolytes will respond "Nema," which is "Amen" backwards. Mm. And uh, originally, they were going to have the main summoning prayer be the Lord's Prayer backwards, but the BBC said no on that. that so instead. Surprise. The master is saying Mary had a little lamb backwards. Og et iris saw bamal et yeah. Also, they have him using. Uh, uh, there are a couple of neat references in, or interesting references in the language he uses in his rituals. He will frequently say "so mote it be," mm-hmm. and yes. that is a usage. It, it, it means like "so may it be" or "so must it be." Right. And the earliest record we have of that is actually Masonic. So this is something you find in Freemasonic rituals, but it's mm-hmm. also been picked up by some neo-pagans. Mm. So even though it's not a normal, older English usage, it is something that's out there. And then uh, my favorite is at one point the master is declaring 
to all of his followers, to do my will shall be the whole of the law. Mm. And I just laughed out loud when he said that. I hadn't mm. seen this in a long time, but I laughed out loud when he said that because that there he's bending Aleister Crowley. Mm. Uh, Aleister Crowley was a famous British occultist of the, of the 20th century, and he founded a movement called Thelema. Thelema is the Greek word for will. And in Thelema, the idea was, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. So you can do anything right. you want, and it's considered moral. So do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law for Thelema, but for the master, to do my will shall be the whole of the law. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, okay, that's a mastery take on Aleister yeah. Crowley. <laughs> right, yeah. right. It's obviously a mastery take on the Our Father as well, instead of you know thy will be done, saying to our Heavenly Father, it's no, yeah. my will. My will is the one that's going to be <laughs> right. done. Yeah, another little detail: his red robe, his cassock that he wears, that red mm -hmm. red cassock, has like a, a writings in a in an unknown yeah. alphabet around his neck. It's actually from a 16th century occult alphabet, and it spells out "master," which is kind of funny. Oh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of course it does. Yeah, there's a also the, the names of places. So you have the, the town is called Devil's End. Mm -hmm. So of course something bad ha is going to happen there. But uh, you have. This barrow, which is a, a sort of ancient burial mound, usually like Neolithic or, of some sort or, or you know, Stone Age or that sort of thing. Um, the barrow is called the Devil's Hump, mm -hmm. which is I mean, just I love these these names. And at one point you see a road sign. One, one point part points to Devil's End and the other one points to a place called Satan Hall. So this is like an area of England you just don't want to go. Just, yeah. <laughs> just stay away from this part of England. It's, it's like bad news. Well, I mean, Devil, Devil, Devil's End doesn't I'll, sound too yeah. bad because that's where the devil comes to his end. Uh, that's one way of yeah. <laughs> looking at it. <laughs> that's, there's another way you could you know, could think of I it, know. which you know is le less polite. But yep. uh, uh, so uh, let's talk a bit about so this the um, this whole thing about the the this creature this Azal who sh he he shrinks and and grows throughout yeah. this. He goes. He goes from microscopic, where you can hardly see him, to giant, uh, you know, 30 feet tall or something like that. And in the course of, of these changes, that there's, you have the conservation of, of energy that is, you know, the law of conservation of energy. So when he, when he, let's see, when he grows big, he makes it cold. And when he well, shrinks, he makes it hot. Or it, how, I forget it, how that it, went. It, 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 it's not really tied into anything. So the doctor, <laughs> the doctor points out, okay. There's a, you know, Einstein's mass energy equation. If you're losing mass, that energy needs to go somewhere. And he uses that to explain the freakish cold and heat waves mm -hmm. that they've been having, among other weird activity. There's a lot of weird stuff going right. on, like weird winds blowing things around and the heat barrier and poltergeist-like activity. And then there's these hot and cold flashes. But actually, when Azal gets big is when there's a heat wave. Mm-hmm. And okay. there was only like a cold wave at the very beginning when they opened the barrow. And so right. it, it's not really tied to anything, but they're gesturing in the direction of science. It's like, hello, science. We know you exist. <laughs> sort of. As a, as a YouTube channel puts it, they were science adjacent. Yeah, yeah right. Science adjacent. <laughs> yeah, the doctor, in fact, like you mentioned, when they opened the barrow the first time, the doctor is nearly killed by the blast of cold air. It's so it's so cold. In fact, they, they think he's dead. Yeah, the professor was. He, the, his, of course, the arrogant the professor, professor who... You know, wants to make it all about him and his dig. He's the one who dies first. 
Yeah. Although I have to say, I loved his interaction with the BBC reporter Angus. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he had no time for him. It was awesome. Yeah. There, so we have a kind of unctuous BBC reporter who's there to cover the uh, to cover the opening of the Barrow and and the completely co- uncooperative professor. <laughs> yes. And and it's some there's some fun interaction there, and you can see their mutual frustration with each other. <laughs> like at one point, the the uh, the during an interview, the reporter asks the professor a very simple question, and the professor's like, "You don't know that," and it's like, "For the viewers, please." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. In the uh, actually, at one point he talks about this: is the greatest discovery in England, archaeological discovery since Sutton Who. And Doctor uh, what, uh, Professor, what is Sutton Who? Never mind Sutton Who. We're talking about my discovery yeah. here. It's like. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's, I, I like that. I also like in in that episode where the doctor and Joe are rushing to get to the village, and there there are hints early on, and they never explain this, but there are hints early on that already there are dark forces mm-hmm. conspiring against them because they end up arriving at the village very very late because the wind blew a roadside around on its axis, mm-hmm. so it pointed the wrong way, yep. and mm-hmm. the doctor and Joe end up getting lost. But when they finally arrive at the village pub and they're asking their way to the barrow, one of the one of the patrons says, "Oh, are you one of those television chaps?" Yeah, um, and <laughs> yes. and and the doctor says, "I am no sort of chap at all, sir." And I'm, go- and, well, you kind of are, yeah. but <laughs> and, but the patron's reply is, "Oh, well, I thought with the costume and the wig." Yeah, <laughs> wig. <laughs> that was good. Well, I love a bunch of guys I mean, who've co- been in the pub a little too long, shall we say? Yes, fun yes. At his expense. <laughs> There's also an, a, a gargoyle that the master yeah. animates. Bach. That Bach, and it has the ability to like make people disappear. I assume permanently, like mm-hmm. to disintegrate them. And there's a scene where. Bach confronts the Doctor and Joe in inside the barrow. It's about to attack them, and the Doctor wards it off with a little trowel. And he doesn't really explain it, but he says, "Oh, it's iron." And I thought I thought it was a very nice little touch because in fairy lore, iron is deadly to the fairies. Mm. They to even touch it, it would be it would be deadly to them. Mm. And so they don't. They kind of just drop that. They don't even mention you know why or how. But it's just you're expected to know. You know. Kind of like as ne- part of yeah, kind of like never feed a zombie salt. Yep, exactly. Um, the uh, I mean, they explain a lot of this by, by saying it's all psychokinesis, <laughs> it's all emotional energy that's causing all of this. That if they feed off of that, but it's just kind of like, what does that mean? I I'm glad you brought that up because to, when they said that, I, I had we just talked about this in a different episode, which was the God complex. Mm-hmm. The emotions of a group of ordinary human beings generate a tremendous charge of psychokinetic energy that powers a horned beast. Yep. I mean, is that not the same as the God this complex? Definitely, I thought that was fascinating. Definitely better than God complex, that's for sure. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> that's for sure. Yes. So, but what do you think about, I mean, the, if you want to compare two things, I mean, the God complex also kind of dealt with this and, and dealt with, as we, as I think you said, Jimmy, and as I agree with, it dealt with religion very badly. Mm-hmm. Uh, correct mm-hmm. me if I'm wrong, but uh, whereas this one seems to, to handle this whole thing better. Well, it's better. It's still not great. The doctor dismisses uh, the devil uh, as a myth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he does is, that, which is not good. But other than that, mm-hmm. they're okay with it. If I were the BBC, that's the line I would have cut. Right, um, right. But it's funny. In general, you know, it is much better. 
One thing that I appreciated is the planet Deimos is 60,000 light years away, which is identified as on the other side of the galaxy. And I'm like, yes, 60,000 light years would be on the other side of the galaxy. They finally got an astronomical distance right. Because we're, <laughs> right. we're, we're the, the Milky Way has a, has a radius of about 50,000 light years. We're 20,000 years from galactic core. So if you go 60,000 light years, it's got to be on the other side of the, of the galaxy. Either yep. that or it would fall outside of the galaxy. Right. <laughs> that, that was good. So we had a lot of uh, the Brigadier, uh, Benton, and Yates in this. Mm-hmm. I, think they, I think they all were, were fun in this. We had the famous line from the, from mm-hmm. the Brigadier oh, yeah. to, to one of the soldiers, five rounds rapid at the uh, stone chap yeah. there. Chap with uh, the wings <laughs> there, five rounds rapid. Yep. And it's, <laughs> it's directed at Bach the gargoyle. Yes, that was good. Um, and then we had uh, Benton. So this, the point where they're trying to burn the doctor at the stake, and he wants to demonstrate his great power, and he says, see that light over there? I'm going to uh, order it destroyed, and it bursts. And we're like, how, how did the doctor manage that? And he does it with the, uh, I think, the, uh, the wind vane Weather on the top vein. of the church. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it turns out it's Benton from the upper room of the, of the uh, pub with a silenced pistol. I'm, Benton is is a crack shot. Yeah. I mean, this guy is good. I, mean, I have to might say, might be talking you know a couple hundred feet, but still, that's that's good. I mean, that really, especially to hit with a, a weather vane, which is usually a fairly small target from that distance. Yes, with a silenced pistol. That's yeah. that's a, that's a long shot. So that that, that I like that. Uh, but yeah, Bates and uh, um, Yates and Benton and the Brigadier all got things to do in this one, and that was good. Yeah. We also had another uh, new uh, unit soldier, and this one may sound familiar to you. Sergeant Osgood, yes. the technical guy, and so is this. Is this like is he like the Osgood from New Who? Her dad, maybe or maybe, uncle? Or something I don't like know. That? Yeah, I wonder. I, lo- I looked it up on on the the Tardis Wikia, and it, it said that a that that was actually Moffat's initial intention when he created the New Who Osgood was that she was a okay. daughter of of him, and he kind of shied away from that, and so I think it kind of became in alternate media such as Big Finish and uh, books, that she's actually a niece. Okay. Yeah. This was an element of the story that I didn't particularly like, because what, so the reason that Osgood become and I don't mind Osgood, um, he's mm-hmm. fine, yep. but the reason he's in the story is because the heat barrier dome has been put around the village, and they're trying to find a way through it. And so the doctor wants them to build a machine. And at first he tries describing it on the radio, but he's not having success. Mm -hmm. So he like goes up to the barrier and is explaining in person how to build this machine. And it it operates on the principle of diathermy. It's going to suck off some of this heat and let him Mm -hmm. get through the barrier and stuff. Okay, fine. We we have more waving over in the direction of science. But Mm -hmm. what I don't like is how the doctor just totally condescends mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. uh to Osgood and to the brigadier for just scene after scene yep. as they're talking about this machine and and the brigadier similarly is dumping on Osgood so Osgood can't win between mm-hmm. the doctor dumping on him and the brig dumping on him and i think right. they mean that to be played for comedy but to me it just makes the brigadier and especially the doctor look right. very ugly and unsympathetic in these scenes. Right. And this, this thing is basically an overglorified air conditioner. And really they took an air conditioner and just ramped it up as all it did. <laughs> but right. it was, yeah, it was just, 
the doctor, of course, he goes over the radio with some like techno babble that probably means absolutely nothing. I didn't even bother to go look it up to see you know, what it really said, but it was, you know, just overglorified techno babble. And the poor guy's like, well, we can't do that. And of course, you got the reverse the polarity and all this kind of stuff. Reverse the polarity yeah, yeah. of a diode. You know what happens when you do that? That diode goes boom. It, They're designed that you exactly. don't do that. You know, <laughs> right. You know, speaking of treating people shabbily, I noticed how the doctor treated Joe mm-hmm. pretty shabbily throughout. He was mm-hmm. always demeaning her. Oh, you're you're so silly that you believe in magic, or you know, how dare you talk to the brigadier like that, or talk about? You shouldn't even talk to him. Talk about the brigadier like that. The way he does the whole time. Yeah, and I, 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 I didn't, I didn't like that so much. I think, you know, because in the end, who's the hero of this story? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's Joe. Who who was willing to give her life to save the doctor? Right. I think he should be I, a little more grateful. For I, her for I, I that. do do like the, <laughs> the phrase he uses to her when when he tells her to get moving. He says, "Stir your stumps." I do like that phrase. Yes. I want to find a way to use that someday. <laughs> <laughs> also, for a John Pertwee era episode, we have the expected helicopter attack and car mm-hmm. chase and motorcycle oh, race yes. oh, and yes. all that stuff. As I wrote that down, John Pertwee got to ride a motorcycle. <laughs> he did. So apparently the helicopter explosion and the church explosion at the end were so realistic that the BBC got complaints mm. that they were blowing up a historic church, and that they blew up a helicopter <laughs> and wasting uh, taxpayer money. I, I thought that was amusing. But they, 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 for the time, they were pretty good. So, uh, Jimmy, I, I, I mean, we can't talk about this story mm-hmm. without bringing up one of the most important elements. So it's the, May Day. Yeah, the Morris dancers. Yep. We have Morris dancers. In <laughs> now, now, now I see so why tell you, us uh, about the Morris dancers. Now I see why you like Morris dancing, because they're so violent. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what a wonderful butler. He's so violent. That's exactly what I was yeah. saying. <laughs> um, that's a line from Tom Baker from City of Death. Um, so, yeah, the uh, one of the nice treats for me in this is we have Morris dancers. And so this is set on May Day. May Day is one of the traditional days of the year where Morris dancing is done in England. It's also done on Boxing Day and Pentecost and various other times. Morris dancing is a form of British folk dance. In this episode, you see a team of Morris dancers, also known as a side of Morris dancers. And you can recognize them because they are wearing whites. So they have white shirts, white pants, and then they have these colorful baldrics that are like their team colors Mm -hmm. uh, that they wear. We see them do a stick dance where they have these long sledgehammer-like sticks. We also later in the end credits see them doing a hanky dance where they're using handkerchiefs as props. But this is one of the things that Morris Dancing does is it uses props of various kinds. Sticks and hankies are the most famous. There are others, like there's a a famous dance called Baca Pipes where you have these two crossed clay pipes with the long Mm. stems and you dance around them without breaking them and stepping on them because they're fragile. Mm. Mm. Morris dancers also uh, wear bells strapped to their legs so they jingle as they dance and you can hear them jingling. Possibly the origin of the expression, I'll be there with bells on. Mm. Who knows? Oh, yeah. But it's common to do Morris dancing on May Day, as well as have other May Day customs like a Maypole. And we do mm-hmm. see the uh, the Morris dancers doing a dance. That particular dance that they do is called Young Collins. Mm. And my team does that. Nice. And so when oh, whenever we're in performance, whenever we're performing for a group of people, like at a parish 
festival, mm-hmm. you know, parishes will have folk festivals. They'll invite us in to come dance at them. Uh, I will explain about Doctor Who. I'll ask the crowd because I'm the team squire. I'll I'll well, I'll I talk to the crowd and I'll say, so who here knows about Doctor Who? And then I'll tell them about Morris dancing on Doctor Who, and then we're going to do this dance, Young Collins, which is the one they did in the show in honor of the Doctor. Oh, nice. nice. And, uh, and so that's a way of helping make a cultural connection to the crowd that we're performing for. Also, I point out correctly that the Doctor said he would be happy to join them on any other occasion, but there was something like about saving the world. <laughs> and in fact, at, in fact, at the end of the episode, he does join in in the May Day festivities. Yep. You know, you have a ready-made cosplay for a Doctor Who convention, like right there. Oh, like, that's that's <laughs> obvious. I, no, 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 no. Because of this, we have been invited to Doctor Who conventions. Oh, cool. to, oh awesome. to do Young Collins for the convention. Nice. You know, nice. One, one thing that awesome. interests me. I didn't know about the, the bells um, in Native American cultures, at least here in, in you know the Midwest and the Pacific Northwest. They have what are called jingle dancers, which are women who mm-hmm. have bells sewn to their dresses and they yeah. do the dance and it's this very similar effect where you hear jingling as they're dancing so it was kind of an interesting connection there too nice mm-hmm. interesting so a um, couple other things that i have on my notes uh i have to i am amused i love the brigadier i just mm-hmm. it's one of my favorite characters in doctor who and every time someone calls him on the walkie-talkie you know which, green hound to trap two he answers by saying is that you yates <laughs> well, yes, I've just called you. Is that you, Doctor? Is that you, Ben? That's his standard reply. I just, I, I, I just love that. It's so quirky. But uh, so that, that's one of the things. And then, so the Doctor says that the demons, the, the from Demos or Demos, came here a hundred thousand years ago. There are another one of these races where we, that where Doctor Who says uh, humanity's advances, all of our our great leaps forward were all due to the, the influence of an alien race. Mm-hmm. And it's one of these interesting science fiction tropes we get in which Doctor Who has done several times with several different alien races who are all apparently competing to advance us. Th- this where we, this was of, also part of the culture at the time with like Chariots of the Gods mm, by Eric Von yes. Daniken and things like that. Yeah. And it's interesting, this idea that, you know, humanity did not advance on it in its own. It's, we were always being pushed forward by some alien influence. And so, you know, we have the silence, we have uh, the demons, we have, you know, others in Doctor Who, at least. I thought that was uh, interesting that this, I don't know if it starts here, maybe in previous Doctor Who stories in the first and second Doctor's time had the same sort of thing, but it's it's interesting. So do you have any of, uh, other notes on this episode, Father Corey? Um, I have to admit, I'm, I'm with the uh, Brigadier at the end. Yates and Brigadier are staying there, and Yates says to Brigadier, would you like to go j- <laughs> join for the dance? He says, I'd rather have a pint instead of dance. And they walk <laughs> off to the, the pub. That, 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 I have to admit, that's me. I'd rather have the pint and watch the dance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, how about you, Jimmy? So I liked some of the things they did to make it creepy before we got the, all the reveals. It's interesting that you have, I mean, you have only the two monsters in this. You've got Bach and Azal. And yeah. Bach is the effective, it's kind of like Picard and Riker. Mm-hmm. Because you've got Azal down in the cave, like Picard on the bridge, who's ultimately in control. But it's Bach that goes and does the stuff. Mm-hmm. And so Bach is the one they encounter because they can't realistically do a 30-foot tall Azal menacing the villagers, so the gargoyle gets to. Mm-hmm. Right. 
But even before they do the reveal for Bach and Azal, they have weird stuff happening. And at one point, they're doing a helicopter flight over the fields, and they see what you look down and you might think crop circles, but no, they are, uh, because crop circles weren't a big thing yet, Mm -hmm. they are enormous hoof marks leading from the barrow to the church. And so you see them in the field, but then when they set the helicopter down, suddenly the hoof marks become much smaller. <laughs> but but from <laughs> yeah. from the air, the hoof marks looked very impressive. Yeah, they did. There's a speech where the master is trying to appeal to the the batter angels of the villagers' nature, and it's really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, he starts outing their like their sins, talking about you've yep. been padding the books and. Is your wife really coming back and stuff like that? And mm-hmm. it's it's very uncomfortable. And he ends up monologuing maniacally and losing all of their sympathy. Yeah. Right. So you you think this is going to be the scene where the master gets the villagers on his side, and actually he blows it and they turn on him, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is which is nice to kind of make the point that the. Uh, the daemons will destroy their failed experiments. At one point, Azal is monologuing, and he says, Remember Atlantis! Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> and and actually, we've, also, we've already seen the fall of Atlantis from sort of from the doctor's point of view, because there's that episode where he and the master are dealing with Atlantis. Mm. Um, have we already watched that one yet? I that... don't remember that. Okay, well... Which... Which doctor would it, that? No, have it's been, the third uh, doctor. I was thinking it was this season, but maybe it's next season. Okay. So, uh, so if you guys don't remember it, I guess we haven't seen it yet. But then we will see at, Atlantis mm-hmm. from the Doctor and the Master's perspective. Oh, by the way, we haven't even mentioned what it all looks like. Basically, he's a giant satyr. Mm-hmm. So yep. think, Mister Tumnus gone horribly wrong. <laughs> <laughs> There's a scene where one of the villagers, one of the Morris dancers, actually uh, attacks Benton, and he is re- and he's fighting with him, and he's rescued by Miss Hawthorne, who whacks him. Uh, she says, I, "I hit him with my over the back of the head," and she whacks him and knocks him out. And she explains that she whacked him with her reticule, which mm-hmm. is like her little handbag. Inside her handbag, she has a massive crystal ball. <laughs> so she just whapped, whacked this guy with a massive crystal ball. Um, and, of course, we have to ramp up the stakes, and so the doctor tells us that this adventure involves the greatest danger the world has ever known. And I'm like, yes. really? Is it really? Yeah, at least it's not the universe. <laughs> this, this wasn't a Moffat yeah, episode, yeah. so it's not the universe and everything that's ever existed. Right, just the world. Yeah, it was... It was interesting to me that the doctor from the very first episode, from the very first time he heard about the Barrow even, he knew that this was about the daemons, mm-hmm. the the that this this race. Because reasons I, that will remain unexplained. Yeah. Right. That was one of the the little bit of holes that they that they introduce here. Yeah. Also the first guy that dies before the you know, in the teaser of the very first episode, what did he die from? Like like he's he's scared. Something scares him to death. Yeah, and but we never told. We don't know what that is. It was that was sort of left hanging. Yeah, the and it's more of the weird stuff is already happening before they even open the barrow stuff, mm-hmm. but they never explain what that stuff is. The other thing that was interesting was at the very end. So the master's trying to get Azal to give him his power before he leaves, 
uh, which is unclear what that power is, but okay, give him power. Mm-hmm. A double it, helping it, of it, his it, evil spirit. It includes <laughs> d- destroying the world. So, yeah. you know, you, that's, that's yeah. a nice threat you can use to control people. That's right. That's right. Uh, but the doctor kind of gets us all like kind of confused, doesn't know which way to go and who to, who to go and ends up the, Azal ends up wanting to give the power to the doctor and the doctor is horrified. I don't want that power. I, I thought it was very interesting. He was he, he didn't want power. He, didn't, he rejected it, mm-hmm. which is goes kind of goes in line with where we see the doctor doing this. Where when he gets offered ultimate power, I it's like he he it's the temptation. He doesn't want that temptation. He doesn't want to become what we would eventually call a new who, the Time Lord Victorious, mm-hmm. the awful you know doctor of all power, you know, all powerful doctor who would become you know a horrible master uh, in that sense. So I thought that was interesting as well. And it is it is a self sacrifice uh, of you know of love to lay down your life for your friends that ultimately the the demon can't understand to the point where he is destroyed or forced away. Uh, and, and I think that is a an interesting message. You know, it's a it's in fact I mean it's ultimately a, a, the Christian message, right? Mm-hmm. The, the self sacrifice of love drives away evil. Uh, and so I I liked I liked the inclusion of that in mm-hmm. the story. I I was by the way it I just triggered a thought. So this weekend I was going to the grocery store and I was listening to a big Finnish production called Masterful, which was released earlier this year for the 50th anniversary of the Master. And it involves as many of the Master actors as possible. Oh nice. Given mm. given that they're not all alive. But it's like a 3-hour set of 3 audio plays. And all these different incarnations of the Master, either from the TV show or from Big Finish. And Missy is in it. And at one point, Missy is paired with Joe Grant, voiced Mm -hmm. by the original actress for Joe Grant. And Missy is crazy, as usual, and befuddled. And it's been so long since she was was Roger Delgado's Master that her memories of this time are fuzzy. Mm -hmm. And she's thinking that Joe is the doctor. (laughs) (laughs) And so she keeps talking to Joe as if Joe is the doctor, and Joe keeps trying to convince her that she's not. Mm. And at one point, uh, and she kind of goes back and forth on, is is Joe the doctor or not? At one point she says, hang on just a second, I'm going to touch you and you're going to wince. And Joe is like, no, please don't touch me. No, I'm going to touch you. And she grabs Joe by the back of the head and starts pulling. And she says, oh, come on, this is rubbish. You could get one with a zipper on the back. And she's, she's trying to take off the Joe mask to reveal it's really the doctor. That's funny. But in the course of the discussion, Joe points out that, oh, and they also have an appearance. Now, this is from another Missy set. This is from the Missy Volume 2 mm-hmm. set that they have. You know how at the end of Missy's arc, she's become good. Mm-hmm. And and then yep. when Sasha Dewan's master shows up, he's evil again. So, mm-hmm. like, what happened? Well, Big Finish has filled that in with another incarnation of the of the master after Missy, before Sasha Dewan, called the Lumiat. Mm-hmm. And the Lumiat mm-hmm. is actually good. It's a good incarnation. Hmm. And is, like, kind of haunting Missy. It's like, you're going to become me. It's like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> but we have a, a brief appearance of the Lumiat here in contrast to Missy, and Joe is there to witness it. Mm. And Joe mm. has an interesting perspective because she says, whereas my doctor, 
was always grumpy, you know, on average. Well, mm-hmm. my doctor was grumpy. I always thought there was good in the master because he could he could be kind and suave and charming. And so I've always thought there was good in the master, even though he was also doing evil. Mm-hmm. And actually, I think that's very true to Roger Delgado's master, because even in this episode, when he's like going to sacrifice Joe, he's very polite and kind to her. And it's like, this is nothing personal. I, you know, I don't want you to feel unnecessary distress. And then in other episodes we've seen, like Colony in Space, he's mm-hmm. offering the Doctor power to do good in the galaxy with. Mm-hmm. The Doctor can use the powers he wants. He can do good with it, end wars and right. things. And uh, and so I think that Roger Delgado's master is like a good—I mean, there is good in him, substantial good in right. him. He's not just a cackling villain. And it's in, and so I didn't think it was a betrayal of the master's character when they brought that back in Missy, right? Yeah, yes, that's true. Yeah, you, you want a, a more nuanced villain. You wanted, you know, it's it's fine sometimes, like in Star Wars, to have the Emperor be just evil through and through. But when you have a a, a personal nemesis like this, right, to give them some complexity, some good and some bad, I I, I like that. I, I I think that was good. Yeah. All right, I think that should do it for this time. I think we've uh, we've talked about this one pretty completely. Well, let's take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including Thomas B, Nancy H, Ken M, and Christopher W. Their generous donations at sqpn.com/give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at Starquest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com/give. We'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. So that's it from us. What did you think of The Demons? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or send us an email to Who at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the 11th Doctor Christmas special, The Doctor, the Widow, and the Wardrobe. Until then... Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> and Father Cory Stika, thank you as well. <sighs> <laughs> but will Mr. Tumnus show up? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Mr. Tumnus gone horribly wrong. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> and once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, five rounds rapid. Right. This is going to be fun.